Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Military Monday show. We get to chat with Mike Guardia every first Monday. And Mike is an award-winning author. He is a historian. He's a history educator, a military historian, a U.S. Army veteran, and he is the author of over 20 books, and that's what he's joining us today to talk about his upcoming uh, biography called Coyote Recon, The Forgotten Wars of Colonel J.D. Vanderpool. He's talked a little bit about him before on our shows, um, but we're very excited because this is a book everybody needs to have. Um, it's going to make a great gift for the holidays. I'm just saying it's coming out in time. End of October, early November, we got a sneak peek at the book. Uh, so everyone, the best thing is keep up with Mike. Go to MikeGuardia.com. Also follow his Facebook and YouTube uh, pages and um, watch for this book to come out because J.D. Vanderpool has an incredible story. Um, really just going from his childhood to, you know, entering in the army, going to Hawaii, the Philippines, Korea. Um, can we just call him a badass? Because as Nancy started reading the book before me, every time yeah. I'd walk near Nancy, she goes, Dude, this guy's a badass. He got into the submarine and he did this, 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 I agree. this. this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's yeah. a coyote badass. No, I'm kidding. It, no, he, just, he just thinks this is the way to do it, and I'm doing yeah. it. Mm. Yeah. Without orders or with orders, it doesn't matter. Not only is he going to do it, he's going to do it his way. Mm -hmm. And once he's committed to something, he's going to finish it. Like, finish it. Like mm -hmm. you're supposed to shoot out half the people on the island. You guys are dead. Sorry, you're gone. Done. Bye-bye. Because he's not going to stop until he's done exactly what he set out to do. Yeah, he is a real go-getter, man of true pioneer stock. Yeah. Mm. That's for sure. Well, yeah, talk a little bit about his childhood because I think right. that propelled him to to badassery. <laughs> this is just yeah, going to be sure uh, is. Is, yeah. YouTube's going to go beep, beep, beep. You're not allowed to say all this stuff, but yeah, it's true. Oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, wow. You know, here is a guy who had a true pioneer upbringing. I mean, you know, when I look at it, all I can think to myself is that people like Daniel Boone and Jim Bridger, they got nothing on this guy. I mean, mm -hmm. nothing. Because, you know, here was a boy who grew up pretty much in the throes of the Great Depression. And he, um, he spent most of his childhood in, in the great outdoors, um, camping, hunting, and fishing. I mean, this guy was an expert mountaineer and an expert outdoorsman by the time he was 12. You know, I mean, he was doing things and I mean, he was acquiring all these outdoorsman skills um, to a level that I don't think most Americans eat even back then could even imagine. So, 
you know, being that he was on his own from a very early age and being that, you know, his parents were pretty much hands off in their approach and that he really didn't have the best home life anyway. I mean, that is a recipe for making a man who is truly self-reliant and really a modern day mountain man. Mm. Because when you think about all the places he lived, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, um, the Dust Bowl region, Oklahoma, yeah. when you think about that terrain, and Nancy and I know it very, very well, and it's like Texas, right? It's, mm-hmm. you, you have to handle heat, extreme changes in mm-hmm. weather, hot and cold, and all the things that come with those places, snakes, scorpions insects, insects. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know we're always going to go there but it's true that you mm. wish you had never seen before yeah yeah like those you those know, which can fuel your nightmares too yeah the 29 palms those solifuge uh-huh. things those little vinegaroo things yep camel spiders oh. camel spiders yep, yep. <laughs> oh, no way I, I got nailed but when you kill them they they turn into pepto-bismol and Have they're yeah them? they're pink on the well, inside <laughs> i know it's, it's like something out of a sci-fi movie. I mean, I remember it, the it, first time I saw a camel spider. I'm like, eh. what the heck is Dude, it? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that can't be real, you know? <laughs> no, and they it's do gross. go after you. I, you know, you wake up in the morning and there's like one, like, or in the middle of the night, you turn your yeah. nightlight on yeah. and there's one sitting there or a scorpion and you're like, because that used to happen in Arizona. Oh, the scorpions, like scorpions are all like here with their little pinchers. Yeah. Well, this is yeah. Nice. They're like, yeah. They, the raids. I didn't realize. That and then they, they get into the that. air ducts and they get into the showers too. Dude, it's just, Dude. Yeah. oh, because yeah. they want moisture. Uh-huh. I've had big scorpions in my shower. Like you go, yeah. no. Always check your shoes. Always mm-hmm. check your shoes. Turn them upside well, I'm down. I'm one in my bed. Yep. Pleasant. Um, all right. I mean, yeah. Dude. But this, but this point, let's not keep talking about it. I'm going to have to start <laughs> looking and seeing that there's nothing around my feet. I don't start to look at my feet now. <laughs> it is October. You know, Halloween is coming. Um, but when you think about understanding all those things, being outdoors and the weather changes, mm-hmm. I think that's something the army really does. I mean, we're talking about 29 Palms being, you know, this mm-hmm. military base, Oceanside, you know, all of these bases. I mean, even just like when we were in the Florida Panhandle, realizing all these terrains that the military, regardless of its Navy, Army, mm-hmm. uh, the Marines, really does take, you know, the troops and put them through different terrains to prepare them. Because I don't, you know, I don't think you can really be 100% pre- prepared for a new country until you're there. But um, I think once you understand the outdoors, you understand the outdoors, you understand observation. How much do you think of, of him as being... Um, a good observationist and watching and being able to make decisions from being outdoors? Well, I think that it really put him ahead of a lot of his peers because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're young and you still have a lot of plasticity in your mind and you are still very emotionally resilient at that point, I think if you learn those hard lessons at an early age and if you develop a lot of those hard skill sets at an early age. It uh, really helps you to be able to make those decisions. It gives you that intellectual ammunition. It gives you that mental flexibility, I guess, in order, you know, to really prepare you for, you know, how to act in those situations and how to be able to observe it with a critical eye Mm-hmm. and be able to detach a lot of the panicky emotions that I think would otherwise be associated with it. Mm. Yeah, because there is no, with this fellow, there is no 
second guessing. Once he makes a decision, which is really fast, he goes like 120%, man, that's it. He doesn't second guess himself. It, he's Whatever he's gonna do, he's gonna go full charge. Mm -hmm. So then he knows yeah, how he to do calculated risk then. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 he sure did. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, from a pretty early age, I think, you know, he, uh, you know, he was forced into a situation where he had to make those calculated risks mm -hmm. because, you know, he never said it explicitly, but, you know, if you read through his oral history and you just listen to how he describes his upbringing, uh, you know, it, it's not, it, it, it's, it's never something that he explicitly stated, but when you read between the lines, you can pretty much mm -hmm. surmise that he did not have the most stable home life and he yeah. really did not have what you would call a happy childhood and you know to um i i i, I can safely extrapolate that he used his love of the outdoors kind of as a means of escapism um but you know when mm -hmm. he is only a few weeks shy of his 17th birthday his mother falls ill and she passes away so here he is orphaned at the age of 16. He is the eldest mm -hmm. of four boys. Um, you know, his parents have been divorced for a few years at this point, and he hadn't seen his dad in years. You know, the father was completely estranged by this point. So he is, you know, he, he is essentially the man of the house, but, you know, mm -hmm. he doesn't really have the means to either support um, any of his brothers, much less himself. So he says, okay, guys, well, you know, at this point, we pretty much have to scatter to the four winds. Uh, you know, we know where a few of our relatives are located. So uh, let's just make a promise to stay in touch with each other. And, uh, you know, we'll do the best we can on our own terms. So, you know, just being straddled at the age of 16 and having to make that decision, mm -hmm. I think That's is huge. going to mature him light years beyond any other 16 year old in America at mm -hmm. that point. And, you know, to find himself in a situation where he's like, okay, well, I have to drop out of school. I know yeah. that I am not mm -hmm. going to get my diploma. So what options do I have? Well, we're 1934, we're smack dab in the middle of the Great Depression. The Dust Bowl is making life miserable for everybody here in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can join the Civilian Conservation Corps. Maybe I can find refuge of sorts in one of these New Deal programs. And uh, like, it was just shortly after his 17th birthday that he walks into a CCC camp and he says, okay, boss, I'm here. Give me a shovel, give me a hammer, and please give me something to do. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so um, spending a year in the CCC, I think, really um, added to that mental maturity because, you know, here were a lot of other teenage boys in a very similar situation to his own. And, you know, they were, uh, you know, they were essentially building the national park system at this point, yeah. um, mm -hmm. building, you know, uh, they were building these check dams and uh, all, all of these irrigation systems. And then after that, he says, okay, well, I've had enough of the CCC. Now I'm just going to become an itinerant worker, work my way from place to place, try to stay with some relatives and then save up enough money to where I can finally get to California. And by the time he's 18, you know, he's working a day job in construction where he's building the All-American Canal. And then at night, he's he's a truck driver. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, man, these are these are two top-notch blue-collar jobs, very hard right. labor jobs. 
that an 18 year old kid is doing. And yeah. I'm just thinking, man, did that, uh, yeah, wow. that that mentally is going to make him at least the equivalent of your average 35 year old. At yeah, least. for sure. For yeah. Sure, and yeah. then to say, well, you know, I think I've had enough of this, but, uh, you know, to see the world, maybe get some room and board. You know what, boss, I think I'll join the army. And mm. yeah, just uh, yeah, to to have that experiences lead you to the army by the age of 19. Um, yeah, that, that that right there is going to make one outstanding soldier. It's interesting, you know, going, you know, that double duty work that is hard work physically. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you think about truck driving, um, you know, we've talked about it with pilots and and things Mm -hmm. where you're, you're behind the wheel, and you have to have a focus, you have deadlines, Mm -hmm. you, you know, you have to make it work. Um, I think that's also part of his makeup is that part of that observation and that drive that he has literally to be able to do that and do it double duty. That's, that's a lot of work. So off he goes to the army, but he had a choice to go to Hawaii Mm -hmm. or to go to the Philippines. And he's like, let's go to, you know, let's go to Hawaii and and see some palm trees and see the ocean. And, you know, but that, but that's the same. And I mean, the Philippines have palm trees and they have palm trees and ocean, (laughs) but he thought Hawaii was going to be more fun. Right. So mm-hmm. I think from the perspective of a 19 year old, he was telling himself, well, you know what, um, both of these locations sound really good. And I can do one and then the other. As a matter of fact, I can make my way farther east. I can use Hawaii as a stepping stone to get to the Philippines. Um, because, you know, I, I see these as two items that I really want to check off my bucket list. And mm-hmm. yeah, if I can, if I can start in Hawaii, I can see what they're all about. And, uh, you know, I can enjoy the lays, I can enjoy the hula skirts. I mm-hmm. can see all of the images that popular culture has told me about Hawaii. And then right. after that, I can go over to the Philippines and I can see what they know. And, mm-hmm. you know, to a 19 year old in 1936, I mean, I, I can, I can totally see how that would be his, how that would be his thought process. And uh, probably the furthest thing from anybody's mind at that point anyway, would be the possibility that uh, within just a few years, you know, the, uh, the entire Pacific region would be set on fire and we would be at mm-hmm. war with the empire of Japan. Yeah. yeah. And he was there mm-hmm. for Pearl Harbor. He sure was. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, oddly enough, he was not necessarily surprised when the war finally came. And he said something that I think was very profound. And uh, it's something that I had never heard and I had never read anywhere before. But in the the weeks and months leading up to Pearl Harbor, he was uh, called in to a briefing theater uh, with all of the other officers in the Hawaiian division at that point. And he said that it was General Walter Short who gave the brief. He said, look guys, uh, the writing is on the wall. Uh, you know, we all know that, uh, we all know that, that, uh, that the empire of Japan has been making trouble all throughout the Pacific. We saw very clearly what they did in Manchuria. Um, so I'm just going to give it to you guys straight. Look, um, whether we like it or not, someday soon we are going to be at war with the empire of of Japan. And, mm-hmm. and I just got out of a meeting with the president of these United States. And uh, we have determined that 
probably on or about January 1st, 1942, we are going to be engaged in active hostilities. So I want you guys to be prepared for this possibility. And what I want you all to do is I want you to make ready. Yes, we know that the War Department has put us on a shoestring budget, but you know we're gonna have to go to war with the army we have and not the army we want. So memorize your battle positions, know your jobs inside and out because it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And when the war finally does come, I want you, I, 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 I really want you guys to be ready. Don't say anything about what you've heard in this briefing until long after the war is over. And here's another kicker, guys. We know that if we go to war with Japan, they're not going to last too long, okay? Eventually, we know and they know that they're going to lose. But when we do win this war, all throughout the war, guys, do not, and I can't emphasize this enough, do not criticize the emperor of Japan. You can criticize the government, you can criticize the Japanese military all you want. Don't say anything bad about the emperor because we are going to need the emperor after the war is done to help, you know, to help, uh, help reestablish control. And, you know, hmm. Jay, at this point, he wow. is like a 24 year old officer and he's sitting in the briefing and he's like, okay, well, that's interesting. It doesn't really surprise me because I know what the Japanese have been doing, but, uh, wow, I wonder how they came up with a January 1st, 1942 ETA of when yeah. we would probably be at war. So uh, neither him nor any of his comrades who were sitting in the briefing, at least based on what he said, none of them were surprised to hear this. They said, okay, well, we know that war's coming, but wow, January 1st, you know, that's only like a few months away. Um, okay. So essentially, General, what you're telling us is that, you know, we see the freight train coming down the tracks, we see the, you know, we see the glow of the headlamp, we know that the train is going to plow us over, just, you're, you're telling us essentially to either, you know, try and cut the track or try and build a barrier to try to lessen the impact of the train when it hits us. <laughs> so, um, that's with that in mind, mm -hmm. uh, they said, okay, well, if we know it's coming, let's just try to do the best we can. But no one really anticipated it happening on the 7th of December. And, you know, now we get into, you know, the realm of what the government knew, when they knew it, and if they could have done anything to try to prevent that attack. Mm. Well, you know, I, there are as many conspiracy theories and as many pieces of evidence out there <laughs> as the day is long. But, uh, you know, Jay just said, okay, well, this is the information that I've received. So um, what I'm gonna do when Pearl Harbor, or excuse me, what I am going to do when the attack actually happens is I'm just going to do the best I can. And then on the morning of December 7th, you know, he awakens to the sights and sounds of Pearl Harbor and is like, okay, this is it. This is what we prepared for. And you know, he tries to do the best he can um, but you know, the, the, um, the part of the military complex that he is uh, that he is on at the time is Schofield Barracks, and uh, they are getting strafed by Japanese planes left and right. And anytime anyone tries to assemble a convoy or tries to commandeer a vehicle, I mean, they are cut down in a hail of Japanese gunfire. Yeah. And you know, so he and his unit don't have much else to do except you know stay there helplessly, you know, pinned down, and you know, and uh, catch these glimpses of Battleship Row going up in flames right in front of them. 
Wow. And, uh, you mm. know, so while he's seeing all this death and destruction all around him, he says to himself, okay, well, you know, uh, let's at least try to make our way down to the beach so we can set up all of our defensive positions. And by that evening, he is among a handful of survivors who are, you know, who are digging trenches along the beaches of Oahu. And they are setting up all of these artillery pieces on the beaches because they are dead certain at this point that Pearl Harbor was just the first wave of an invasion and that there's a Japanese task force that is going to be on its way to the Hawaiian Islands. Wow. That's, you know, when you think about all of this, you know, when you don't talk about it, don't tell anybody even after the war. And then now you're able to get this. When were documents, when were they allowed to speak? I mean, because, I mean, reading the book and I'm partway through it, it's, it, again, you always bring this human story. So we understand what people were thinking, feeling, going mm-hmm. through in the dialogue. And it, it does feel like you're sitting and having a conversation with him. So it's mm-hmm. very, like Nancy says, this, this should be a movie because it's very personable and yeah. um, very easy to read. And, um, you know, Nancy and I haven't served in the military, but we're learning a ton. <laughs> but, yeah. And it's easy for us to read as someone who, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, to grasp that history, grasp that um, story these these people have that you know that you've been covering for years mm-hmm. but like for you to get that information I mean when did they say okay you can talk about it to get well, that see, kind of they, info yeah so according to Jay he said that uh, you're not allowed to talk about anything we say in this briefing until after the war is over so um, you know okay. it it, uh, it is I think of the tightest operational security that, you know, you not let any of this out. And, you know, that if you do say anything, just wait until after the war is over, because we don't want um, any of this information out and probably disrupting the course of the war effort. Um, you know, because if it, uh, if, if the wrong set of ears hear it, mm-hmm. it could probably create a lot of backlash on the home front. And, and yeah, sure. Yeah. There was a and, lot of fear for good reason. Yeah, yeah. You know, with the Japanese. I mean, we've we've talked about this on shows before, but uh, here he is in the heart of this. It's it's a little bit different than driving the truck and hunting in the in the desert, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's like, okay, game on kind of thing. Um and dev I mean, that feeling of seeing something like that for the first time has to move you in different ways emotionally and also fuel like, I'm going to get you, you know, right. it fuels mm-hmm. badassery. Let's put it that way. I'm just going really back to that. It really does. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. they, you uh, talk they... about him being a founding far, uh, father of airmobile or aerosol warfare. So was this, right. uh, does this tie into when he was in Pearl Harbor or is that later? Uh, yeah, that actually comes, let's see, that's going to be about 14 years later at that point. Oh, okay. So at this point, there were like the seven. Nancy, you were talking about death charges and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh goodness. Nancy's that like was... death charge. Like I know that's a good yeah. cup of coffee, but this is like the real deal that he was going through. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, um, I uh, I was really surprised to see that story, and mm-hmm. I mean, it it, uh, it 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 was it was. I think the best way I can describe it is that it was equal parts shocking and then equal parts hell yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, because exactly. I, you know, mm-hmm. based on my own experiences. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel anytime. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better. 
You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it, if you have the right tools, and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it, if you have the right tools, and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. In the military, I can say that if we tried that today, we'd probably all be tried as war criminals. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, here was um, here was a point in time in the military. And I think in uh, I think in in broader in in the broader terms of American society in general, that, uh, you know, you uh, you do what you can to accomplish the job. And um, when you're in war, the ends are going to Mm -hmm. justify the means. And there's this innate understanding that war is not pretty and that it is not glorious. It's not poetic. And you have to do some dirty things sometimes really for the sake of getting the job done because Mm. your job is to win the war. So the setup for this particular story is that here they were towards the end of the campaign on Guadalcanal and the Japanese had occupied this Canyon that was on the far side of the Island. So it was one of those circular canyons that's, um, I guess the best way I can describe it is that it's kind of like a cereal bowl almost. And they were in this canyon and they said, okay, well, you know, if we send any number of battalions or regiments down there, um, you know, because they are already, because they are already defending in a low ground area, um, a lot of our guys are going to get chewed up and, you know, we can't send any, we can't send any naval gunfire there into the battery because um, you know all of the uh, offshore batteries can't see it, and the and all of the trajectory all 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 of the trajectories you know for that naval gunfire they're they're they uh, they tend to be pretty low and shallow so we can't get a high enough arc of fire to go into the canyon, so we don't really want to risk losing any more lives at this point because we've already taken a tremendous beating you know just trying to get the high ground here on Guadalcanal. So what's an expeditious way to eliminate as many Japanese soldiers as we can down in, down in this canyon as possible? And that's when one of the naval liaison officers pipes up and says, hey guys, I got a lot of depth charges on, <laughs> on these ships out there in the sea that we're not using. Uh, what if we just drop a few depth charges down into this canyon here? And I'm thinking wow. to myself, okay, a depth charge mm. is a weapon that you use to kill enemy submarines and mm-hmm. all a depth charge is, is it's this it's this big canister right and and you uh and you you uh you throw it off off the edge of a ship it sinks underwater and it sets off this huge it it it, it uh sets off this huge concussion wave you know it, it's a uh, it, it, it's a shock wave that the um it's a shock wave that the blast sends off and this huge concussion wave is, is designed to, you know, send off such a huge shock, you know, through all the density of the water to, uh, to kill and destroy enemy subs. 
And if you're using that in the open air, <laughs> just imagine what it is going to do to an enemy soldier. So yeah, they, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it was nothing at all. They had no reservations doing it. You know, he got on the radio and he said, you know, hey, send a flight of planes overhead. We're going to drop some depth charges, things to kill enemy submarines, but we're going to use them to kill enemy troops. So, you know, a whole Ooh, flight of, uh, a whole <laughs> flight of uh, planes come overhead and they drop these depth charges and, <laughs> you know, it, it sounds loud enough if the explosion happens underwater, but when it happens in midair, oh my God, it is like a deafening roar. So, you know, they yeah. drop these charges and they explode, you know, just a, a few feet off the ground in the canyon. And the shock wave was so intense that it was like literally snapping the Japanese uh, soldiers in half. I mean, it was like snapping it's their like, necks in half. Dude. You know, they were, you know, they were having, they were having teeth rattled out of their skulls. Oh my Eyes were God. coming out of their sockets. No. You know, had brain lucky coming out of the ears. It's Dude. like I expected the cliffs to start crumbling and come down. Yeah. I mean, I mean it was that huge of a concussion wave that it was like literally snapping it's people crazy. in half and popping their popping their eyes no. out of their sockets. No. And, Dude, and, Mike, <laughs> we've gone from scorpions and, and vinegar <laughs> to eyes popping And when the Americans came through the canyon, Dude. I, 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 I mean, the only thing that Jake could say at that point was, oh my God, I had never seen anything more horrific in my life. I mean, it was like every gory slasher flick times 100. I mean, you know, I mean, just like all these different body parts and innards, you know, just like spread out everywhere. And, you know, I, I mean, people were like literally mangled. I mean, you had guys on the ground, you know, their like neck mm. was all contorted. And one did you see photos this of this when you were doing uh, the no. research? No, I mean, I, I don't want to. I, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm yeah, like, don't I, put I, that uh, in the book. <laughs> don't put yeah. the pictures of that in the oh, book, no, no, no. man. Yeah. So thank but, goodness but, I did so not that, see wow. any mm. pictures of that. But uh, so yeah, this is really, you know, when you think about, but hey, when you don't, when you gotta do stuff, you've got to do. And that's really, you know, your theme with all these, you know, heroes that you've been and leaders that they've always just gone, okay, if the military hasn't supplied me with what I need. We're still going in. We're still going for it. And we're going to do it this way. Yeah. It's rogue. But um, what was the alternative? Lose and die? Yeah. You know, see, so, so you really, yeah. I just feel like they're creative, but they were pushed into, mm -hmm. a, you know, a corner where they was that or they're gonna all be captured there's no such thing as friendly warfare no so i mean and that's what it is it's all about kill the other side mm -hmm. i mean if you can well, take them enemies or whatever but when you've seen uh, battleship the battleship broke with that explosion going through and you see that how is how does it not fuel you to do something like that you know to mm -hmm. take them out and say okay well you're going to do that where well, i'm going to up you one or two or three and, yeah, and we're gonna right, it's like, okay you're gonna yeah. we're gonna blow you up like literally blow you up you know so you're moved, goes, yeah. Yeah, yeah really we're gonna move you in a whole different way going from that then ending in the philippines what what got him to the philippines because he really went up in rank um as he mm -hmm. progressed in his career mm -hmm. of badassery he sure did he sure did oh. so um this was the dawn of 1944 and uh, yet he, at this point, he was serving on the intelligence staff of the 25th Infantry Division. And uh, he had been selected for that role, oddly enough, um, because uh, there had been a patrolling course that they had done in between the campaigns on Guadalcanal. 
And, you know, given that he had the rough and rural upbringing, you know, he, mm-hmm. he, he, he was already light years ahead of anyone else who was in the course. And, you know, he was actually, he actually became an, uh, he became a student instructor uh, um, in the course of that patrolling um, class that they were doing. And he said, okay, guys, yeah, you know, here's what I learned when I was growing up in the wilderness, you know, out in, out in places like Arizona and Oklahoma, here's how you build a lean-to, here's how you can make a fire, here is how you can make a fire, even if the ground surrounding you is wet. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so all of his fellow students are soaking up this information. And uh, towards the end of the course, there was a secret ballot that Vanderpool knew absolutely nothing about that, that uh, you know, that, and th- this ballot would essentially select who was the most outstanding student of the course. And all of his classmates unanimously selected him as, mm. the, uh, you know, wow. as the outstanding student. So that information made its way all the way up to the top of the division headquarters. And the, you, you had the G2, the guy who was in charge of, of intelligence say, okay, you know what, this guy Vanderpool, I want him on my staff. I need somebody mm. who is, go- I need somebody with that type of a tactical mindset to help us, uh, to help us plan all of these, um, all of these intelligence operations. And while he's there, uh, he gets a he, he gets a call from the general headquarters of the Southwest Pacific area. That's the that's the fancy name that they that they applied to MacArthur's headquarters. And he said, "Hey, I uh, need some volunteers for a highly hazardous and a highly classified mission. I need someone who is a real go getter. I need someone who knows how to operate in the wilderness." I know someone who is skilled in the arts of scouting, patrolling, and tracking. Basically, wow. give me the best outdoorsman in your ranks that you can find. And mm-hmm. uh, Jay was actually the first point of contact to receive that communique. He's like, oh, hey, we got something here from uh, GHQ up at MacArthur's digs. And uh, you know what? This guy that, there's, that they say that they're looking for, you know, uh, if I can, I would like to volunteer myself for this mission because it sounds like it's really right up my alley. Mm. And uh, yeah, he, he got permission, of course, to do it. He gets briefed on it and he says, hey, you know, uh, I don't know exactly the details of this you know, so-called highly hazardous mission, but if you want a guy who can uh, track and patrol like the best of them, I'm your guy. And, you know, he finds out when he gets there that, okay, you know, the secret mission is you are going to become a Johnny on the spot commando, and you are going to be placed on a, uh, you are going to be placed with a, with a, uh, a team of specialists, you're going to infiltrate the Philippine Islands by submarine, and you are going to sneak behind enemy lines, you're going to make contact with all of the allied guerrilla movements that have popped up in the Philippine Islands, you're going to find a point of contact and you are going to facilitate uh, communications. You're going to be an advisor, and you're going to be a liaison. You're going to facilitate communications between these guerrillas over here and the follow-on conventional forces. And that point wow. of contact, you will be mm-hmm. the critical juncture of how these two forces link up to retake the Philippine Islands. And he said, heck yeah, I'm in. That's crazy. So you've got wow. the guerrilla. Yeah, so this is mm. where it goes back to how you found out about him, mm. right? Yeah, you, exactly. you heard about mm-hmm. him and then mm. a Facebook fan, you know, says, hello, you should be covering him. And you're like, yeah, because you were getting into that whole guerrilla warfare part, which, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, and it's the underdogs, really, right? The, the guerrillas in a way. It's, it's, no, they're smart. They're, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just they're, they're um, resilient. They think out mm-hmm. of the box. I think that's yeah. their biggest talent. It's 
okay, if we can't do it this way, let's do it that way. But the meeting of the two sides mm -hmm. goes, that's brilliant. You know what I mean? When you think about, yes. okay, here's the conventional, because there's key elements to that. It's, it's like when you look at music and you learn how, you need to learn your scales and your chords and everything and your foundation, but then you've got rock and roll who says, hey, screw that. Shake but actually, if you learn this <laughs> part first, you can play rock and roll and then you can really kick ass, you know? So you have to have those two sides. And, and I think that's, well, that's if interesting. If you look at some of the war history, like Santa Ana, just lining the soldiers up and walking into bullets. I mean, when I read about that, I was like, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. So all these guys, they know they're going to die. You stand in a big row and keep marching. And there's a row behind you and a row behind them. And so you just get shot down. That's I mean, just pure execution style. It, yeah. What, what's the point? That, I mean, that's just stupid. You know, so I look at the uh -oh. leaders and think, well, it is. It's stupid. I agree. You, you know, I mean, you look at the leader. He should have been the first one. He shouldn't have been on a horse at the back. He should have been the first guy in line. Because, yeah. yeah, maybe he would have learned Didn't something. we do that a little bit in the Revolutionary War, too? That walk, in, or is it more the Civil that War? That just where walk we were into the bullets? Come on. Yeah, walk well, it was, um, it really was a product of its time. And, you know, these were, these really were the days of the linear battlefields where, you know, it was expected yeah. that, you know, where it was expected that these professional armies you know, would stand in these rows and columns and they would march across the plains of Europe and then they would stand a few years and then they would stand a few yards apart and they would take turns with these volleys of fire, you know, and, and then, you, then of course you had the artillery that, that was, you know, tr that, that was trying to disrupt the lines. And it, it was considered at the time, and again, this really was a product of its time, but, you know, it was considered at the time mm -hmm. that if you tried to duck to avoid a volley of fire, that it was that it was con considered dishonorable to do so. But I think at some like point, like... the, yeah. but I, I think at some point the Americans finally figured out, well, you know what, hey, if I duck or if I hide behind a tree or if I climb yeah. a tree and then I become a sniper to try to pick off different British troops, that doesn't make me dishonorable. It makes me smart because exactly they're dead and I'm living to fight another day. See, but look yeah, at the Boston and, Tea Party. And then, uh, I, I thought win. that was one of the coolest stories. You know? The Boston Tea Party right. was like total, like out, you know, trickery. And that goes exactly. to Coyote Recon too. Now that mm -hmm. Coyote Recon, the title yeah. is perfect because yeah. it is, it, it's the trickster, you know, it's in Southwestern lore, it's a well, trickster. But, and then that's, right. you know, his roots kind of come from there. I mean, he he's going to know about coyotes. We need them mm -hmm. on the farm where we are now. <laughs> and in the modern coyotes. vernacular, you know, when we talk about coyotes, you know, in a mm -hmm. um, in in a uh, in a metaphorical sense, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. like okay, you know, you have a coyote who is somebody who is who is uh, who is smuggling people uh, across mm -hmm. international borders. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that is just exactly what Jay Vanderpool was doing. He was smuggling commandos behind enemy lines. He was smuggling mm -hmm. guerrillas behind enemy lines, you know, trying to yeah, coordinate all coyote. these operations. I'm like, yeah, he is a coyote in the military sense. Yep. A coyote mm -hmm. who's working for the good guys. Yeah. Yeah. And see, yeah. Wow. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure there's more than one. You know, it's just, it's a good title because mm -hmm. it's exactly what he is. It's a coyote and they're smart. So with Coyotes everything really that smart. you've been doing on the History Channel, 
right? You were in the series and uh, and then you were just on the History Channel again, right? Is that aired yet? Hmm. Don't tell me we uh, missed this. No, no, see, so um, the, the, the second go around for me on the History Channel, um, that is going to be airing uh, sometime in 2023, okay. I believe. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I want to say May or June timeframe, but that is going to be a show that airs that airs in the springs um, for all of our listeners and viewers out there. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a new show coming up. It's called Military Mysteries, and it will be premiering on, on the History Channel soon. And uh, yeah, they, uh, they 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 ended up having me as a uh, as commentator for cool. segments that are going to be spanning seven episodes i think oh and, cool uh, it's gonna be, uh, awesome it, it, it's going to be a show that addresses a lot of the um you know a, a lot of the oddities that have happened within within military operations uh you know throughout uh, throughout various points in history and uh yeah it promises to be a very good show it, it, it captures cool. the same vibe i think as the old uh, un, un, unexplained mysteries yeah from the 80s yeah that's yeah. cool that's cool and cool. so i was gonna say with with your connections on the history channel i think you know maybe ask them to do coyote recon as a movie yeah or a documentary oh, don't you think that would be awesome that would be awesome mm -hmm. you know, yeah i could definitely see this as an hbo miniseries mm -hmm. really yeah because yeah. i mean he's got so many stories i mean it just mm -hmm. I mean, he went, he, how, he was in this, his whole life, right? The military, pretty much. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah, pretty I mean, much. He, uh, yeah, from the time he was 19, I think until like just after his 40th birthday, mm. 50th, yeah. So like 20 years, basically, yeah. 30, 2021, yeah. yeah, that's a, yeah, it's a long, that's mm -hmm. cool. Well, I love the story and I can't wait to finish mm -hmm. it. Everyone, this is coming out soon. So keep up with Mike at MikeGuardia.com. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Here on the Instagram. He's a grammar now. Yeah. Yeah. He's on Twitter. And um, he's got well, a new uh, podcast, The Retro Wave History. That is fun. Yeah. That is fun. Thanks. So you do that every month? Mm -hmm. Every month, a new episode. Right on. Right on. So keep cool. up with him. And Facebook, of course. That's And you've got to... Who, who gave you the shout out to do this um, on Got to give him a shout out. Right, right. Oh, okay. So that is a gentleman, and his name is Paul Bless. And ah. uh, yeah, he has he ha has been a top fan of mine on Facebook for a long time. And uh, yeah, it was. Um, I want to say it was about two years ago now. Um, I think I was making a post that had to deal with Danger Forward, and he wrote down in the comments section, you know, hey Mike, you should really think about. You, you should really think about doing a biography on Jay Vanderpool. And as, and as, as soon as he said that, I was like, Jay Vanderpool, I know that name because mm -hmm. I had first come across the name in 2008 when I was doing research for American Gorilla. Mm -hmm. And then I came across the name again when I was compiling, when uh, I was compiling, uh, when, when I was compiling data for the Hal Moore book. Mm -hmm. So uh, I knew him in those two separate settings, or I knew of him, uh, but it never really occurred to me to try to dive deeper and to see if I could connect those two, if mm -hmm. I could connect those two separate entities into a 
full on biography. But when Paul had mentioned that, I was like, you know what? I think uh, I actually think I want to dig into that. If he's suggesting a biography, there's probably uh, there's probably a good base of knowledge out there that would be enough to build an entire story off of. And uh, then when I started diving into everything that he had done and just the incredible backstory that brought Mm. him to the military in the first place, I was like, oh my God, you know, Paul, thank you. You just gave me an awesome idea for this Mm. new book that I want to write. And uh, kind of a funny story on how I came up with the title Coyote Recon, because at first I wanted to really emphasize the reconnaissance aspect of his career and the things that he had done. But I wanted to call the book at first Ghost Recon because, you know, mm-hmm. to me that sounded, it, it sounded catchy, it sounded epic. And, you know, I figured, okay, well, he was essentially a ghost and, you know, he was moving in and out of the shadows. He was doing stuff behind enemy lines. Shapeshifter. But then I, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. A shapeshifter of sorts. And then I found out that the title Ghost Recon was actually a registered trademark to a company called Ubisoft because oh. they had produced the video game series Ghost Recon as part of the Tom Clancy universe. Oh. So wow. I'm like, oh, drat, man, I can't use that mm-hmm. now. What else am yeah. I going to do? And at first I was racking my brain. I was like mildly heartbroken that this title that I really wanted to use, I couldn't use. And I just said, okay, well, I want to keep reconning the title. Well, is there a, is there like a, is there another prefix that I can put to that? Is there maybe a predatory mm-hmm. animal of sorts that I can use? So a no joke just went on to Google and I typed, okay, list of predatory animals just to see what I could come up with. And it populated an entire list and I started scrolling down. I was like, bear, no, lion, no, tiger, uh-uh, hyena, really? <laughs> snake. And, yeah, and then snake recon. Camel spider. Yeah. <laughs> coyote. Coyote. And then it got to that's Coyote. Perfect. I'm like, oh man, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's because it. of the trafficking perfect. over the borders too. And you know, but well, I, I like because they're so they're smart. so um yeah, they can they can change your mind and do something within they, split they're seconds. solitary, but with their pack as well. So mm-hmm. they do that solo yeah. run off and, and hunt, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when they with their pack, oh my god, that is one eerie sound when yeah, the pack gets together scary. and starts doing oh, that yeah. yip, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. They're jackals, mm-hmm. you know, and jackals in, in Africa are very similar Ooh. in the way yeah. they hunt and and there is they are like shapeshifters and Native mm-hmm. American lore, um and coyotes that's where the trickster comes in because uh you know you'll see them here but then they'll disappear and they're there so it really does go with ghost the ghost mm-hmm. part of it and shape-shifting is just so huge in that um legend and and you know beliefs and stories passed down and it ties mm-hmm. in with oklahoma when you think about his roots and uh, oklahoma and the, and the desert southwest so uh yeah it's a perfect title and yeah. congratulations another book it's often mm-hmm. getting run out there to be printed and shipped out to everybody so end of october november uh watch out for it on amazon just type in mike guardian when you see it pop up there you can pre-order um as well and uh how many books how many books now is it 23 20 23 24 apparently i can't count <laughs> actually this isn't even 24 so i am right at two dozen oh Wow, two dozen. That's it. Mm-hmm. See, and and here we are on a chicken farm, and they do two dozen eggs a week. No, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So everyone, MikeGuardia.com. Of course, keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, ladies. Always a pleasure to be on the show.
Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.